1: Hey, I'm Zach, and
2: one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. Shh. Shh. Do you hear that? I think someone's listening to this conversation. Are we being recorded? We're talking the conversation this week on Zach on Film. I think we're always being recorded. It's the best I could come up with. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's Sunday. I'm going to live da, da, with da, da, Laverne. Da, 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 da.
0: You know, that is um, that is editor uh, Walter Merch going crazy with the audio in this in yeah. um, Oscar award-winning Star Wars uh member of ILM part of original lucas's uh, group of people um, he was? yeah
2: Edit apocalypse now
0: Edited apocalypse now one of the three editors for apocalypse now one of the or the editor for cold mountain
3: that's one i think i think the one that survived the process
0: yeah yeah the only one so uh yeah the conversation this week in uh, in Zach on film, yeah. What do you think of uh, what did you think of the conversation, Zach? Is this your first time watching it?
2: It was. This Is my first time watching it. Popped up on the Netflix and uh, watching about three sittings because that's how I end up watching every movie we talk about every week. And <laughs> um, uh, I really dug this movie. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. Is this the first time you've seen it, Rodrigo?
1: No, no.
3: Um, I've. This is probably the third time I've seen it. Oh, okay, cool. And Matthew, what about you? Your first time?
1: Yeah, first time Never seen this one.
3: Okay.
0: So this is an interesting uh, performance for Gene Hackman. I mean, mm-hmm. normally he's a very outgoing person, likes to be out there, likes to joke around, and now he has to play a complete introvert, a complete introvert dork. I mean, if this were a movie today, this would be the, uh, you know, the fat kid from the first Transformers movie. That's just <laughs> This like, would be the, <laughs> the, he's in uh, the little, little balding...
1: Yeah. Greater O'Reilly guy from yeah. uh, Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, exactly. Paul Giamatti. Yeah, the Paul Giamatti role. Yeah.
0: So, uh, give us a rundown of this of this story, Zach. What what makes it so interesting?
2: Uh, so, the conversation revolves around uh, one man who is a surveillance uh, genius person, and he is contracted to record this conversation between this male and female in a crowded place, and he pulls it off like a wiretapping virtuoso and then he decodes it and records it and listens and back and back and back and back and listens and listens and he finds out some disturbing information and he's reluctant to give it to the people who hired him and they don't like that very much. Mm. And then, uh, he like mulls over everything that's happening in his life and he's like, whoa, decisions. And we learn that he's had to make, uh, tough decisions previous in his line of work that led to some murders so he's trying to weigh what he should do with this information that could lead to some more murders and uh, what should he do and then things come to a very weird end yeah i love
0: you know old technology films today it's like you can do anything with anything you point a laser beam at a window and you can pick up a conversation you know 50 blocks away and you don't even have to be there And to an extent here, we've got kind of the same thing happening where there's people walking around the square that they have to figure out how to mic. And Gene Hackman's character, Harry Call, uh, figures out that, hey, if we get these really cool, sensitive shotgun mics and we get some snipers up on roofs that can, you know, point these microphones in this direction and just follow the people between these three microphones, we can pick up their entire conversation. And it's like, well, that's really ingenious kind of stuff. And today it'd be just like, well, I got this doohickey that I picked up at the (laughs) 7-Eleven and. Yeah. Slap it on someone's back and they At won't the even notice. It. Or,
2: or we'll uh, hack their iPhone and yeah, yeah. Do the that. B-doll.
0: yeah. There's, I mean, that's what I like about. I mean, and this is my love for the 70s. I mean, I don't have a whole lot of love for the 70s, but one of the things that I love about the 70s is, you know, you need to you need to call the 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 uh, damsel in distress or the hero in distress and warn them that the killer's in the house. You've got to drive to Mm -hmm. a payphone, and you've got to knock on the payphone door, and go, "Hurry up, man! This is a matter of life and death." Or you got to yank someone out of the payphone, and you got to put your your dime in, and you got to dial the number, and you got to, and then you've got to you've got to hear a busy signal, or you've dialed the wrong number, and you got to do the whole process again. (laughs) I mean, that's what's cool about the seventies. Today, it's like, uh, Siri, please call the murder victim. And then it's like, I will Siri, call. please prevent murder. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know the murder victim.
0: Oh, you know, it's it's Bob. Oh, Bob. okay Um I'll
1: call Bob.
0: So, yeah. So in this process of then taking these three different reels and mixing them together and cleaning up all the noise, which also mm-hmm. I think is very kind of cool. Yeah. Because I clean up a lot of noise on the podcast <laughs> all the time. Uh, you know, he's he pieces together this conversation, which he, you know, he even says, I don't really care. Um, What they're talking about. I just care mm-hmm. that I'm getting $15,000 and I didn't do the money conversion rate. But uh, $15,000 in 1974 had to be, you know, a house. $11 it million. Dollars. House. It probably was a house. It was probably the equivalent of about $200,000 today. Nice. In
2: 1974.
0: Somebody can run right. those numbers for us.
2: Mm, yeah, it checks out. Just did it in my head.
0: Really? Okay. Yeah, really $15,000 in, in 1974
2: Thanks. is how much? That's what today? I do with my math skills.
0: And then as he starts to listen to it, as you said, um, he starts to realize, oh, my gosh, there's a murder plot going in here. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be the murder of these two people, because from what we hear and what we piece together, they're having an affair. And the husband's a rich muckety muck who hired him. Right. And if they find out he's going to kill them and they're going to meet, they're going to have a rendezvous Sunday and where they're going to get it on. And they're afraid that the husband's going to find out about it and kill them both. Totally. Yeah,
2: bad. And, and so, that, that's, this is talking about uh, cleaning up that audio. That little contraption he takes out, he's like all frustrated. He can't get this one part that ends up being the big uh, "he's gonna kill us" line. He pulls mm-hmm. out some weird contraption that he muddled together, mm-hmm. probably at like two in the morning. Yeah, he's yeah, had a couple yeah. drinks. He's threw some batteries and crap together, yeah. and he just like ramps up the frequency okay. or something and hits hits this well, audio. But what's
0: interesting about that one scene, and I, you know, you're just isolating frequencies. I don't think you can sure. actually pull out the muddled parts and and clean good. it up and make it good but the fact that Enhanced. he's
1: got he's got a enhance
0: he's got yeah. a um he's got an assistant who is working with him to design and build all these things and he waits until Saul or is his name Saul or Sam i forget Saul Paul whatever um waits until Very. he's gone and then he just mm-hmm. nonchalantly pulls it out of a pile of junk and make sure that nobody else knows Stand. that he has this cool piece of, of technology. Stan. Yeah. yeah.
1: All right, Stephen. Yes. In 1973 dollars. Uh, 1974, $15, 000,
0: 000 1974
1: a day. dollars. $15,000. dollars. 75,000
0: today. Would day. be 80, $82,000. Uh, I used off annual f- inflation of 4.3%. Yep. I got 15,000.
1: Uh, I 15, figured 1973 is, dollars. Okay. 82 grand.
0: Okay. There you go. Whole XB
1: That's year. pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's a whole lot of money for one job. Yeah,
3: so you can tell that's, that he's that's, that's more than that's more than my car. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that more was than probably 10 of your a year's <laughs> salary. Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, fifteen thousand dollars probably that's not lovely. a year's salary in that. I mean, literally, I know people who were buying houses for twelve thousand dollars in in nineteen seventy four in nineteen in the nineteen early nineteen seventies.
1: Was this happening in San Francisco or Kansas?
0: No, this was happening all over. Uh, and maybe even People less. Are <laughs> People
1: are buying houses People are buying houses oh all God. over. No wonder they're bugging everybody. You, know, you, could, you,
0: know, you could go and look at some of these oh, old crap. cars. Mm-hmm. You know, look at some of these old cars tickets and it's like $300 for this car. And it's like $300, that's Crazy. nothing. But then you're like, well, yeah, $300 in, in 1968 was like, you know, 28000 a day or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um. But But this is not a – this is – I mean – The hook is there's a there's a murder plot. But the big hook in this movie with with uh, Gene Hackman's character is he's very private. And yet now he has to decide how far he wants to get involved and a little bit of paranoia. I mean, he really kind of suffers paranoia. He suffers a lot of the same problems that Travis Bickle did in Taxi Driver, except he wasn't Mm. mental cuckoo ready to blow people away. But he was certainly introverted, doesn't know how to deal with people um is paranoid mm-hmm. that things are going on had something terrible happen in his life that made him this way i saw a lot of similarities between the two characters from that standpoint
2: yeah yeah you can totally draw that connection pretty easily
0: so tell us more about what's going on with uh with Gene Hackman's character and and how that influences the outcome and the big reveal of, of the movie at the end
2: yeah and s- s- so there's certainly a lot of guilt on oh what's actually get his name what's his name Harry uh, Harry yeah Harry Call, Call. Harry mm-hmm. Call for his role in what we find out from the number two bugging man in the nation that he ended up somehow getting a conversation recorded between uh, the president and accountant guy over some illegal financial stuff they were doing and uh, and got leaked and it was a big scandal and eventually ended up with this accountant guy's. Wife and uh, kids, kids and him, yeah. kids and sure. kids dead and shaved and horrible things and beheaded. Yeah, he certainly feels a lot of guilt, it seems like, for his in- involvement. I mean, there was that there's a scene where he goes to a confessional and mm-hmm, he kind of yeah. starts off like, Oh, I used the Lord's name in vain, stole some newspapers, and he kind of gets in to. I did some things in my line of work that led to some horrible consequences, and now I'm worried it could do again. But then at the end, doesn't he say the line like, Oh, it wasn't my fault? Or.
1: It did, had nothing to do with yeah, me. It had nothing yeah. to
2: do with me for the first murder. S- Throughout the
1: movie, he says that several times. It had it had nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm.
2: But that might just be him uh, trying yeah, yeah. to get away with this feeling oh, of horrible guilt. And He doesn't want that to happen again, so he starts trying to get involved more, which he's certainly not very comfortable with, doesn't know how to deal with, and eventually ends up going to the hotel where he suspects these two lovers are going to rendezvous or a potential murder could happen, starts trying to figure out how to bug the room, um, stuff goes down, sees a bloody hand come against the wall, and uh, kind of freaks out. He said, oh, like oh no, I did it again
0: yeah really believes that he's caused these mm-hmm. two people's murder but you know and this is a movie from 1974 and some of our right. listeners may not have seen this but there is a big spoiler in it that in the end harry call wasn't trying to prevent the murder of Cindy Williams and um the other guy's death this was a plot to overthrow the company and the owner of the True. company and kill to kill, kill her husband. husband yeah and uh yeah he was he was a patsy through this whole thing he ended up being a patsy, and he. The creepy thing is at the end of the movie, Harry's in his apartment playing his saxophone, and he gets a phone call from the the um, chairman's assistant, and says, yeah. "Oh,
1: on solo, we yeah, solo. know that
0: you're not going to say anything because we're watching you and we're always yeah. listening." And, mm-hmm. and Harry's prided himself on no one can get the best of me, and it even when people do get the best of me, gets very angry over. Which it.
2: happens the entire movie. Everyone's getting the best of him. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and uh, then he has a complete freak out because mm-hmm. somebody's tapping me and i've got a theory about where that bug is in that piece
2: in, i did too where is uh, it well mine kind of got blown up or i thought oh yours got blown up i okay. thought that uh, he's tear so he so he thinks his r- his apartment is bug he mm-hmm. starts going through everything mm-hmm. i said oh it's obviously the harmonica bug that his number two guy. Oh yeah, showed... but he, he tore that up. A long didn't, time he, ago. Yeah, I said this before. He tore the the phone up, and then he tore the phone up. I was like, oh well. He, he tore up everything in his apartment uh, but besides one the, thing. Saxophone. the saxophone. The saxophone is bugged I think because it's on if the you saxophone.
0: go because yeah. if you go back to the convention where he goes to the bugging convention mm-hmm. or the wiretappers convention or whatever it is, there's a scene where <laughs> he confronts Harrison Ford, mm-hmm. and right as that scene's beginning, a man walks through the through the shot, carrying a saxophone. Oh, really? And Harrison Ford kind of gives it a quick glance. So really? in my mind, that's they're the showing voice. you how you bug a saxophone, and that's at that convention. Well, the I mean, it's it not bugging his end, saxophone, really. but, I mean, you get that idea. That yeah, how do you he's... bug a saxophone? And, and that's kind of... in the head. You know, that's kind of interesting about, you know, one of the other things about Harry Cole call it a clarinet. Is, yeah. <laughs> um, God. You know, that's one of the interesting things about <laughs> Harry Cole is he... he comes off as very religious and when he's at the end of the movie when he's ready to tear in and breaking up things he gets to the virgin mary statue and he has a real tough time of man do i tear into this because Mm -hmm. that's sacrilegious and he ends up doing it right but we also know that harry has a tremendous love of music and he values music or at least his music over everything else because at the end, the only thing that has not been touched is his saxophone.
2: He did, I mean, he did destroy yep. his uh, record player, though.
0: That's not his music. I mean, that's somebody else's sure. music. That's not his he just, music. He, just,
2: he gets to add into it.
0: Right. I did you guys get any it. of that? Did you guys get any of that? This this conflict between Harry and religion and music at all in his, in his person?
1: Well, I don't necessarily think I would call it a conflict. Um, I would say definitely that... It, it, it is clear throughout the movie that his religion is an important piece of his identity, almost as important as being the inscrutable top man that nobody can figure out how he does what he does. I mean, I think part of his, his unwillingness to tell anybody, anybody in the entire movie, the whole truth is him, you know, protecting his, uh his, status for lack of a better word but i think also his status is because he's such a paranoid person to begin with and i think when it comes to his religion and his music that's really the only place where he's not overwhelmed with the need to protect himself from whatever might be coming down the pike to destroy him
2: yeah what what i think i think the religion aspect is an interesting one in that it feels like he has not that, uh, I don't know how to phrase this that I don't feel like call goes to mass every Sunday. I think he, he, I don't think he goes to mass. I think he goes to confessional and that's it. (laughs) I think he feels super guilty about things he's done and is trying to abstain himself from, Mm -hmm. from his past mistakes. But I don't, I think he's trying to figure out, how to deal with that, but I don't think he I don't think he actually went to mass yeah. i don't I think he just went to confessional law, and that's my point we ever see him
1: you think he's he's spiritual but not necessarily like heavily devout
3: well i think um, uh, I think to a large degree the the characters it, the character is largely defined by how he deals with his guilt, yeah and you don't see it at first, but the characters is you know it turns out that this this entire piece is entirely driven by guilt um if you've grown up Catholic... I don't know, there's nobody here that has ever done that. You may have first-hand experience with uh, kind of a cultural guilt that uh, a lot of Catholics experience, uh, but also the Catholic Church has a very systematic way of kind of eliminating religious guilt uh, through confession. So, uh, to me, it really seemed that... Um, Whenever he was playing music, he was trying to forget his guilt. whenever he was uh, having uh religious um, interactions, he was trying to if if not face it, then try to essentially extract some absolution um, from uh, from the church
1: I can see that yeah.
3: He's got a not a woman
0: on the side, but he's got a kept girlfriend that he's even paranoid. A lady friend. Yeah. I mean, he pays her rent, pays her bills. Basically, I'll show up when I show up. We'll get it on. I'll leave. Mm -hmm. But he's extremely paranoid (laughs) that um, she's seeing other people. And ultimately, because of his paranoia and his inability to let people in, causes her to say, I don't think we need to see each other anymore.
1: Can you blame her? No, no, no. I really can't. I mean, I mean, it's
0: really, it was a weird, I mean, here's a guy, and Gene Hackman, I don't know how old he was in this in this movie. 44. Really? Is that how old he is? Because he looks. Yeah. And I don't know what it is. I, he I was we've the mentioned
1: age this. that the character is. I maybe.
0: Yeah. I know we've mentioned this before, but I don't know what it is about older movies. Everyone just looks ancient. I mean, he looks <laughs> 65
3: in that movie. <laughs> Um because no, Harrison dude, Ford doesn't look old. He looks forty-four. He, he's wearing yeah, the same He looks like Harvey keitel in this
0: movie. <laughs> <laughs> he uh he's wearing the same glasses that Zach wears today. He wears that damn plastic right, raincoat
3: everywhere. Strong. He doesn't want people knowing his that, business. Uh, that <laughs> raincoat. I can can we can we just take a moment to talk about that raincoat? Sure. go ahead That raincoat is the most like striking visual element of this movie because mm-hmm. it is hideous <laughs> yeah it's this semi-transparent uh, raincoat made like plastic raincoat it's an, it's an, an emergency raincoat time. yeah yeah wears that all the time even if it's not raining and like i think as a as a visual thing it's interesting to me when i see it because Weirdly, even though he's like wearing it on top of his clothes, it like denotes this vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's transparent, right? Mm -hmm. It's like he thinks he's inscrutable, but everybody can see what's inside the, everybody, like you can literally see right through his clothes. He's basically naked. uh, And and his raincoat just keeps drawing my attention to his weird
1: legs. Yeah. And he's, (laughs) he's wearing this emergency raincoat on days when it's clearly not going to rain. You never know. It, which once again underlines but it underlines his paranoia right. in that mm-hmm. he's the kind of person who gets up in the morning and he's like, well, I'd, I'd better wear this just in case. Yes, exactly. And it reminds me of there's a Monty Python, a series of sketches, actually, where John Cleese comes in as the guy in the little folding raincoat buttoned all the way up to the neck mm-hmm. in the parrot sketch. Yes. I would like to register a complaint. And it's just for me that that coat Reminds me of that off-balance John Cleese character to the point where I see that coat and I think, okay, this guy's off his nut. That was my first thought when we see Harry in the movie, is there's something something wrong with that. Well, like I said, he's,
0: he's not wearing glasses that were popular at the time. He wears that plastic raincoat. No. He's a dork. I mean, he is really, he is a social His, his clothes outcast. are out
1: of date for yeah. 1974. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And and people would just consider him, who's that dorky loser? And not get the time of day so that when a, an attractive woman does hit on him and he yep. does, I mean, the movie comes off as, you know, he does have no problem getting women, except for the second woman that he gets is uh, well,
1: working yeah. working
0: for uh, uh, Harrison that's, Ford's That's uh, Luann Poovy. Is that who that that's is? Luan
1: Poovy? Poovy well, that's Luann Poovey from Governpile USC. The are. character's name is Luann Poovey. There are And so she many. was the the actress who played Gomer Pyle's girlfriend.
0: There are so many great mm-hmm. um, actors and actresses in this. We've got Gene Hackman, obviously, as Harry Call. Uh, John Cazale, yeah. who yeah. plays Stan, his assistant, who we know as um, Fredo from the Godfather series.
1: Um, <laughs> who I know is the guy who looks like uh, the the director of last week's movie. Oh, uh, Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese. Cindy yeah, Williams. Yeah, looks like Scorsese in that first scene.
0: Cindy Williams, a lot of people may know from American Graffiti or from Laverne and Shirley. She plays Hello, one of the Cheryl. conspirators. Uh, Frederick Forrest plays her co-conspirator. Harrison Ford, which you see Harrison Ford's name in this, and you're like, Harrison Ford is in this movie? Yeah, that was
2: weird when I saw it in the
0: credits. And movie. then you then you find that he plays a heavy in this piece, and it's like, whoa, that is just not. And Harrison Ford plays a a, scare, a scary yeah. heavy.
1: He yeah, plays he a very threatening person. Because he has that that thick heavy brow and when he knits his eyes it's just like oh crap han solo's pissed and the thing is this is like 30 year old harrison ford Mm -hmm. so it's weird because this isn't that long after american graffiti right but he seems like he's aged a decade since then almost this was actually
0: 10 years god would this have been before oh no god american graffiti
1: american graffiti Uh, was 73
0: oh okay so it's, yeah, it's a year after. Yeah, American Graffiti 73. Yeah. And then and Conversation then by 74 he was
1: he was young again.
0: <laughs> and then he was in Apocalypse <laughs> Which I Now.
1: Think is was he? Oh,
0: really? He played an army officer named G Lucas.
1: Uh uh oh. George Lucas. Oh. uh oh. You've got you've got
0: Terry Garr who plays the uh the girlfriend. And then Robert oh, Duvall her. who plays just again another Godfather uh, character just in there shortly. I mean, just shortly as the, as the director, mm-hmm. he goes uncredited in the movie. What's but he
1: got? Like three scenes?
0: Well, he, at that one, moment, really? Yeah. One and he's is in dead. The, Yeah. And then he's dead. Yeah. He's oh, got his basically murder, the, he's he's got his murder scene. And then he's got the scene where office. he, uh, yeah. is listening to the tapes. Yeah. One, one of the things Zach, that I think is kind of interesting is I mentioned Godfather multiple times Um, Francis Ford Coppola directs this piece. Mm -hmm. He had his, uh, he's one of those that I, you know, kind of like, um, Charlie Chaplin and, um, the others in the 1920s who are basically said, screw you, Hollywood. I'm not going to work for your studios. We'll go and form our own studio. You know, he went and formed American Zoetrope and basically gathered together people that he liked working with actors that he liked working with and said, we're going to all be in these movies together and do all these great things together. That's why you see Terry Garr pop up a number of times in, uh, Coppola movies that's why you see John Cazale and and Robert Duvall pop up a lot in those movies and I think that's just real interesting to see I I wish I knew more about um, Francis Ford Coppola his background and growing up and everything because here's a guy who just said okay I'm going to create my own studio and then Mm -hmm. of course years later winery and all that kind of stuff and really kind of untouchable (laughs) Um,
1: well, there, but there was a price too. I mean, right, right. By being being Coppola, he became known as incredibly difficult to work with mm-hmm. and incredibly unpleasant about a lot of things. You know, a stickler to the point of of unpleasantness mm-hmm. to the point in some cases of insanity. Um, I know that I actually read a few things about Coppola, and I know, for instance, his cousin is Nicolas Cage. <laughs> what? But more importantly, when you what when you get forward into the things that he becomes a part of, mm-hmm. you know, after Patton, and you get up into the Cotton Club, and you get up into you know the weird stuff that he did in the eighties, mm-hmm. you you kind of see his that same. What's the word I'm looking for? That painstaking detail that he puts into this film and that he puts into his early film kind of goes off the rails into a just iron fisted control to the point where you can see in this movie, the seeds of what a lot of people would say was his professional demise hmm. because of the, you know, that if you look at this movie and the most fascinating part for me is the reuse of the scene the reuse of the same oh, yeah, scene, cutting back mm-hmm. into the, the conversation, reuse of yeah. the bits of the, the dialogue. But there are there are clearly multiple takes. If you listen to dialogue the way I do, there are clearly multiple takes in some cases as Harry's perceptions change. So you look at this and I'm, I'm thinking, first of all, they make a big deal in the movie of how difficult it was for Harry to set up the actual – The Sting, for lack of a better word, that allowed him to record the conversation. Mm -hmm. And we have a title. When you think about that from the perspective of now you're a director and you have to sell not only all of that, but you have to have that whole thing down to a science. You have to break it down and block it out to where, you know, the guy from Shields and Yarnell is there at the same time every time doing his mimey shtick. Mm Mm-hmm. And you have that that walking in the breakdown as they circle the park. I mean, that is brilliant. And that's the kind of thing that you look at it and you say, that's really coppola to me, is that sequence is just deconstructed to the point of mechanical precision. And I that's the thing that I really love about this movie. And that's the thing that I necessarily, you know, associate with Francis Ford Coppola movies, is that kind of that deconstruction and iron-fisted control.
0: I don't think there's anything wrong with that because it does ensure that he has maximum flexibility when he does want to edit everything. Um, And a lot of times, you know, he is someone that rolls a lot of cameras at the same time. Uh, Mm -hmm. Sometimes just even rehearsals to see what he can get out of it. I know during um, Apocalypse Now, you know, the opening scene where the jungle lights up on fire. That was just Mm -hmm. stuff from uh, later in the movie where they were just rolling film <laughs> just to roll film on a like a B or C or D camera that they didn't even think they were going to use. And the couple of seasons says, I love it. You know, let's use that.
1: I'm um, gonna use that.
0: I'll use that. I yeah, we we'll use that. We'll drink some wine. Or use that. It's really in or Roderick, you're kinda quiet on the conversation. You said you've seen this multiple times. You've probably seen this more than most of us. This is probably my th- uh, maybe my third time seeing this the movie. Mm-hmm. What are, what are some thoughts that you have on, on reactions to the conversation and meaning and story and structure and all that good stuff?
3: Well, obviously uh, the conversations, a, a movie about sound um, mm-hmm. and has really masterful sound design. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the first time I saw the conversation was in a sound design class um, for, uh, well, when I was in college um, and um, it's, The, 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 um, the piece has all of these kind of sound layers around it. Mm -hmm. Um, you have the actual conversation of what's going on. You have like each character's interaction with the conversation, and then you have kind of this additional sound information that gets added to the conversation, um, As far as I'm concerned, when I first saw this, I had a very, um, I actually had a kind of a negative reaction to the twist because I felt it was cheating. Um, I felt that we weren't given all of the information ahead of time. Um, and then when you hear what is essentially the twist in the conversation, that's new information. That little bit of emphasis that changes the meaning of everything yes. wasn't there to begin with. Um, and I, the first time I saw it, I was like, did I just not pay attention or did they cheat? And mm-hmm. having seen it multiple times since then, they totally did cheat.
0: Uh-huh. And is that something that's truly causes the story to fall apart?
3: Well, let me ask you, does it make it fall apart for you?
0: On the second viewing, it felt forced for some reason.
1: hmm Yeah. It it did for me. Um, it, the, the expectation that, in this case, the MacGuffin, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. wasn't given to us in the first four or five repetitions of that sequence really makes the ending... I don't know. It it feels like a different movie after he leaves Robert Duvall's office, mm-hmm. and not necessarily, not necessarily for the better, because when we get to the point where he's, you know, he's in the hotel room, and there may be something going on. That's really great. That I mean, that's suspenseful and that's meaningful. But then he steps out onto the to the balcony, and we get that really weird. John Carpenter scarecord moment and I'm like that doesn't fit in this movie at all really mm. because even even when they explain well, that's, to us you know, what that's happened
0: his, you know that's his mental break right he's yeah. like oh crap I couldn't yeah. prevent this from happening look what I've done it again right and this I, is and this is the
1: point deal. where the universe breaks down for him yeah. and I right. I can definitely see that mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily I don't necessarily like it because the big reveal of the terrible thing that happened to him Mm -hmm. takes place in his office, surrounded by friends drinking and basically being, you know, jack wagons, Right? people just running around and they think they're, they think they're kidding. They think they're playing with him. They think it's a big joke to, you know, poke at Harry and talk about the bad thing that happened to him. And how did you do what you did, Harry? I mean, what's going on there? But it's something that this is clearly much more serious than he lets on mm-hmm. and much more serious than any of his his colleagues realize. And that, I mean, that's a really tense sequence for me. But then we get to a point where it feels like that realism. For like three quarters of the movie, we have this realistic take of a super paranoid man who's good at doing something He's damaged. He's got this thing that he does. And then the last, the last quarter of the movie kind of veers off into movie territory where it's, it feels like the, the concept has changed. The first part of the movie is this quiet man in his Mm -hmm. life. And I can believe this is realistic. He's a nerd. He's, you know, he's the techno guy who can figure this out. You give him a puzzle and he'll tear it apart. And then in the last quarter, all of a sudden, it's a murder mystery.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I don't.
1: And I feel like maybe they, tw- they I feel like they may have tipped their hand a little bit more than I prefer, especially the the toilet scene. But go ahead, sir. Yeah, I thought uh, that was, yeah, go ahead.
2: For me, it it always felt like a char- character c- piece, because even when it, it got close to that murder mystery, let's figure this out thing, he didn't do the logical thing of go to the police because he's still this broken person that doesn't want to yeah, interact he, with... he, he also never...
3: Want, never. Yeah, he also solves that incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Which, he, again, shows he doesn't that he's wanna, not the He doesn't want to
2: interact with anyone. He just... I don't even know if he wants to figure it out. He just h- tries to hope that it's not going to happen. Because yeah. even when he... He, yeah. yeah. So he taps their room and can hear the person playing the tapes over and hears the rustling and stuff. He kind of just meanders out to the balcony and it's like, is it going to happen again? I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I'm not going to go bust in the door and stop a murder or anything. Right. I'm just going to hope it's not happening. And then right. and his, he realizes his, he's caused something worse and
1: then he breaks. His paranoia puts him in the situation that. Causes him to be a part of this murder plot. But it's his guilt and his past that makes him perceive it as innocence in danger from, you know, the big bad guy. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, he couldn't even – I mean, he couldn't even fathom what he was looking at. And in a way, if you look at it as – The movie is told from his perspective.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Having the change, the cheat change that Rodrigo mentioned earlier in the dialogue, having that change represent a change in his perception and a change in his understanding, it works better for me on that level. But even then, you get to a point where it doesn't feel like the realistic, low-key, almost but not quite non-functional guy from the first part of the movie – and the guy in the last scene who's literally ripping his world to pieces, it doesn't necessarily feel like the the point – the path from A to B goes naturally for me. It feels like there's mm-hmm. a big moment in there where I'm supposed to swallow something that feels out of scale, I guess, for Harry's story. Well, and, and I character. think that
0: that's where that dream sequence comes in. That's that part of the movie mm-hmm. where suddenly it flips and he becomes a man of – I'm not involved with anything to now. I do have to get involved because, again, Terry right, Gar, girlfriend's character is like, tell me about your life, Harry. And then uh, Lurleen or whatever her name is, is always like, tell me about yourself, <laughs> Harry. Cool. And then all of his friends are trying to get him to open up about his life. And even as an audience watching him, we know what he does in his day. He gets up. He yeah. goes to work. Mm-hmm. He does his job. He goes home. Every once in a while, he goes and, and uh, has some fun with his, his lady friend. And the rest of the time, he's sitting in his apartment playing his saxophone and doesn't like to be bothered by anyone.
1: Yeah. And, and when uh, Meredith starts hitting on him at the party, mm-hmm. it may it may say more about me than it does about this movie. But as soon as Meredith started hitting on him at that party, my first response was, dude, don't trust her. She's after your tapes. Uh, well, but because that woman – that that woman is so far out of your league. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, then I'm we, just like, what is it that this woman wants?
0: We, we hit the dream sequence and that's where we find out everything about Harry, why he's been introverted, how he almost died, how, you know, what he did that he has all this guilt about these people dying and it's his fault. And he's trying to warn internally. He is mentally internally through the dream. He's trying to say and trying to take action and trying to take responsibility for his actions. By warning the Cindy Williams character and then wakes up and makes that kind of commitment of screw this. I'm not giving them the tapes. I need to do something. I need to make sure that these people are okay. My tapes are stolen. Now I have to act on this or bad things are going to happen and I'm going to feel guilty again. And he doesn't want to go to the police because he could be implicated in the murder. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, from that standpoint, he's he's very confused over what he should do. And I don't think he can yeah. go to the police. I think his only action is to try to do it himself and go to that hotel and see if his worst fears are going to play out. They kind of play out in a that's different way. That's kind of nuts. Yeah. yeah.
1: Do you think oh, he's nuts? That, that's kind of.
0: What do you mean? That's kind of nuts. The theory yeah. of what I said, or or what uh, what Harry calls actions, really well,
1: are. No, your theory is sound. The fact that that's the the only step he feels he can take is kind of nuts because if I don't you know. really Sadly, look I identify at, with
0: Harry a lot in this movie
1: well honestly mm. and I don't I don't want this to seem like a burn because I know you and I we do have that thing where we make fun of each other but oh, no. Rodrigo Rodrigo say I the same thing I'm incredibly
0: paranoid all the time and <laughs> do a lot of the same things yeah, that Harry and, does in this movie
1: but that's the thing I I set this and I'm like Steven's definitely going to identify with this guy and as the movie was going on I found myself kind of identifying and kind of going dude come on you i mean if you it yeah it, it it's a point where he is so paranoid that he's literally killing himself yeah, yeah yeah he is just destroying himself and he can't even see it and i i don't know i i kind of look at this as a very sad tale mm-hmm. up uh, up until a point and then i'm just kind of like oh well that didn't go where I really wanted it to, so maybe maybe I'll just watch these last 15 minutes and go, what? Okay. Do you do you think
2: he really bought in to the fact that he is the best there is at the thing? I think he the, wanted at the, to. At the
1: bugging and the wiretapping? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's become an, uh, uh, an important enough part of what's left of his identity. Mm-hmm that he wants to believe in. And I think that leads to, you know, that leads to the one moment where Melvin puts one over on him and really right. just really shakes his brain. But or, I guess yeah, I think he really wants to believe that's the truth
2: about or himself. another way. I think to put it, do you think, do you think that call thinks everyone is below him in life in intelligence?
3: Because, I think he definitely thinks of himself. That's really smart. I think right. that, yes. uh, what, I, I think he very well may be the best bug, like the best surveillance guy in the East or West Coast or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that doesn't make him a good detective. Sure. But right. again, the fact that he's so good at his job, I think I think in a sense makes him feel that he's invulnerable to this sort of thing. Right,
1: right. And that's, that's a good call. I think he... If you look at the paranoia and the fear and the things that drive him, he probably doubts himself daily. But I think he he hopes to be and wants people to think that he is the best there is at what he does. Snick, snick, bub, bub. Uh, let's That's a comic book reference.
2: Yeah, let's uh, give some shout out to. Some associate producers Tony Bishop, Joao Brazil, Eric Travarthin, James Thatcher, Richard White, Russell Radcliffe, Matthew Floyd, Henry Laman, Stephen Howland, and Randy Mucha. Thank you each and everyone for supporting the cause of major spoilers to keep us going week after week and giving you free content along the way.
0: Have you ever seen the movie Blow Up? Nope. Any of
2: any of you? Negative. I yes. have negative isn't it about pictures
1: (laughs) Uh, no it is it's about
2: about a photographer who takes
0: a picture of uh, a murder Uh, and you know it's basically the same thing but with with a still photograph and what conspiracy is going on around him uh, kind of inspired this movie Uh, likewise there's another movie called Blow Out with John Travolta no no with John Travolta oh you're right and uh that was done by Brian movie. De Palma. I think it's De Palma. Um, I can't can't find yeah. I want to see I I've never seen Blow Out with John Travolta. Um I want to, but it's never I can never find it on uh, iTunes. I don't know if it's on Netflix yeah. You know,
2: you know who's the co-star for that Travolta movie? What? Adele De
1: Zim. <laughs> what <the heck? laughs> actually no, it's Nancy Allen from <laughs>
0: um, We've seen this kind <laughs> of uh, we've kind of seen this kind of story told again and again and again, right? Can yeah. you think of some other stories where it's kind of the same thing to an extent? What was that? No way out with uh, with uh, uh, Kevin, Costner. Kevin Costner is almost kind of the same way, except for the end reveal. We find out who Kevin Costner's character yeah. really is.
1: Um, Blue Thunder has a secondary plot of the surveillance equipment. What's the one with John Hurt? Not John Hurt, William Hurt. No. It's got Naked <laughs> Kathleen Sullivan in it.
3: What's it called?
1: Body Heat? I have no idea.
3: There's a Enemy the of the doubled. State. Well, Enemy There's of state the State is interesting doubled.
0: because th- you know, depending on how you watch Enemy of the State, it could be seen as the sequel to this sequel? movie.
2: Because of Gene Hackman, because
0: yeah, of Gene yeah. Hackman, because he wears the same raincoat, because he has the same <laughs> glasses, because his workspace is in the same kind of cage, because they use um, Harry Call's picture from uh, the conversation as an ID badge for the Gene Hackman character Brill in that movie. Uh, there's a yeah. lot of connections, you know, visually in mm, that story yeah. that can They're make those people who want to. Think of this as the sequel to The Conversation. You know, it's there if you want to sure. see it. And I, you know, right. I knew early on when I saw that movie, I was like, oh, this seems very familiar. I would never have mm-hmm. made the connection that it is, a, it is a sequel or intended to be anything like that or a continuation of that that shop. But I can see Brill's character What's becoming that? that jaded and spooked out by everything that he, he does those things later on. You know, Harry Call becomes Brill. What's
1: that one Hitchcock movie?
2: Rear Window. With rear window,
1: yeah, no, with your probably jubby, not, jubby Store.
0: Not probably not. Rear window doesn't kind of fall into this as much because it doesn't go into the paranoia of. Well, maybe a little bit. It does, I guess.
2: I'd say it does. Yeah,
0: I'd say yeah, it I does. Would. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah.
1: watching and he can't necessarily, yeah,
0: and he can't do anything. And of yeah, course, that goes ties back into um, body double.
2: I know that when I Google search the conversation. Uh, it said, people also search rear window. So, yeah. I mean, surely yeah. there's a connection there if Google says so. Yeah, yeah. if can, Google says yeah.
3: so. <laughs> Google is the number one yeah. film analyzer software. Yeah.
1: yeah. And there's that, that Shia LaBeouf movie that rips off uh, the window, too. Eagle Eye? I think that's, oh,
3: oh no, yeah. Oh, Disturbia, Disturbia, yeah. it's yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Eagle Eye totally deals with uh, Which, you the government spying on it. no, Shia movie, I mean, they, they don't. They didn't like hide it. They were they were like, no, this is a remake of Rear Window. <laughs> yeah, for a they Shia LaBeouf
0: movie, like were, that is not a terrible movie.
2: That's no, not bad.
3: <laughs> well, probably not because it's a Hitchcock movie, right? <laughs> 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 what about any uh, visual? So what you're things? saying is
1: you can polish a turd.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, if you wrap it around Hitchcock, or sure. you wrap Hitchcock around the turd, I then yes, yeah.
1: Gross. <laughs> <And Kate.
3: laughs>
0: so what visual things did you pick up on or anything that you found interesting? Uh,
2: Matthew touched on it earlier with the recutting and reshowing and re-bringing up of the square scene. Mm-hmm. Um, was used nice to not just so- show Call sitting at his audio deck, uh, rewinding tapes and fast-forwarding and changing his doodly knobs, but uh, intercutting it with <laughs> the... That is the a actual, technical term, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Knobs. the doodly knobs. The knobs. Um, yeah, yeah. I've been in the business. It's right next to the Framistan. Six months.
1: Um,
2: yeah. So I think that was. A, I that remember was a the nice... class we
1: had about doodly knobs in college. <laughs> <laughs> um, when he's fal- talking to a uh, lady
2: that steals tapes. Yes. They have they're having that conversation in the big open thing, and he's leaning up against the pillar, and she's kind of pressing into him, and he's divulging into some more personal details which he does not want to they use this same camera motion of uh over his shoulder on lady's face and then like track over and pan over to his face and they use it like three times right in a row and i don't know if you guys even remember what i'm talking about but it just struck me as odd that they are going to do the same camera move three times in a row
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is the camera actually moving during that sequence?
2: Yeah. It, it it just oh, moves man. from her and it looks like they track over to her shoulder and pan the camera over to his face. Oh,
1: the the swinging camera thing. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, yeah, And I couldn't That's figure weird. out why I never noticed that. they were doing it, but it certainly happened, I know at least two times like right in a row.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm actually looking at it right now just to see it and it's weird because well, at, at the end when they're when they're in the in the the final shot and they're in the apartment and mm-hmm. it does that sweep back and sweep forth like a security camera. Yeah, I'm yeah. wondering if this is something similar to that. Perhaps I don't know. Yeah, it is weird though. It does it like three times in a row because it'll sweep and then they cut back to over mm-hmm. his shoulder and then it sweeps again. That's so weird.
2: And then I guess they do that repetitive shot again when. Uh, pre-destroying his apartment. He's playing sax to the record, mm-hmm. and right. shot on him playing record or sax. Phone mm-hmm. rings. He oh, hit my mic. He walks over to the phone. They stay <laughs> on the empty chair, and then mm-hmm. they move to him by mm-hmm. the camera. Yeah, very
0: much, too. very much a voyeur yeah. or surveillance setup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good pickup. That's yeah, a good like pickup. a
1: like a that is a very good pickup. I never noticed that. Thank you. That's that's really kind of eerie. And of course, having seen Paranormal Activity Three or Two, whichever one it is, I, I expected them. a ghost or a monster to jump out every time they swept over to the right. Because that's what happened in Paranormal Activity Two or Three or whatever it is. There was that's actually of- the name of the movie. Paranormal Activity Two or Three or whatever it is. In 3D.
0: So what can you uh what can you use going forward, Zach? That's always a big question.
2: Um I really liked how this movie shows Call being so in his mind and contemplative, and that's kind of hard to show uh, on screen at times. And I think they did it well by just not uh, so, so slow edits um, between shots when he's like walking around and thinking hard, and then like really minimalistic sound. Or music, or there's not much sound. It's like he's just completely in his mind thinking. And so it allowed the character to kind of draw into his mindset of making us think about what's happening. What would we do in a situation like this? We're faced with a dilemma of life, death, possibly, or what would we do? And so I think that, I mean, the use of sound is obviously a huge uh, point in this movie with the audio recordings. And then. Well, they can cut away from him being so focused on the audio to being focused on his problem. They can just cut the sound. I thought it was really nice.
0: Cool. Um, did the fiance watch this?
2: Um no. Said I before, said, that's, I, old. that's what it happened. I was I was like, I gotta watch this movie. And she said, What's it about? I said, Honestly, I have no idea. So I looked up the synopsis on Netflix, I read it to her. She's like, When did it come out? I said <laughs> just seventy four. Just next time, say nineteen ninety
0: seven. <laughs> but it's a movie to make it yeah. look like it took place in the seventies.
2: And then she said, "Is it in black and white?" I said, "I don't know." The cover image on Netflix is in black and white. She said, "I think, I'll, I think I won't." So she no, she didn't. She didn't watch this. You think she would have liked it? Mm-hmm. Um, is she I, com- I think is she possibly. into conspiracy
0: theories at all.
2: Mm-hmm. I think. When I bring him up, she'll entertain me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Zach. Yeah. Uh, you're so
3: crazy. Sometimes I'll laugh. Oh, <sighs> yeah. Oh, she Zach, says you're so paranoid.
2: Uh, sometimes I'll watch a movie for this show. And I said, oh, we should totally watch that. And then and she never gets around to have, actually watch it. But I did think at the end of this, I thought, oh, she probably would get a kick out of it. I mean, so far, my my track record on her liking movies from this show is not the best. Mm. I think the last one I had her watch was... Blade Runner. Oh, no. She didn't even watch that. Um, Catching Fire. Do the Right Thing. Oh, Do the Right Thing. She wasn't a big fan on Do the Right Thing. That's been a while. Yeah, we
1: watched it. That's probably what happened. We
2: watched it a little bit while ago. Spike Lee put her
1: off of uh, Zach on Film Forever. Yeah, probably.
2: She was such a diehard listening to the show each week. And she yeah, finally she watched the show
1: and then Spike
2: Lee No, in ruined fact, she's never listened to a single show of anything.
0: That's you, understandable.
1: Yeah, no, I completely understand.
0: Have you ever... We're um are pretty nerdy. Have you ever watched like um, a movie like uh, Shaolin Soccer or um, The Hill's the Other One? Um, yes. Kung Fu Hustle? No. I think it's the same guy, right? Mm-hmm. Kung Fu Hustle? Stephen Chow?
3: Yeah, Stephen Chow.
0: There is a new movie that's out. It's out in theaters now. You can rent this on iTunes. I watched this. It's called Journey to the West. Uh, it's a rental only. You can't you can't buy it yet. But if you like Stephen Chow's humor that he injects into his kung fu movies, I thought you know I watched this and I was like, oh, this is just going to be kind of like a guy dude thing. Mm-hmm. After I watched this, I was like, you know, this is probably a movie my wife would have really enjoyed watching with me because a bit of love story in there too and. Uh, it's got a little bit of, uh, Eastern philosophy, Buddhism, and, uh, um, Chinese history with the monkey King, uh, not history, uh, Chinese, uh, mythology with a monkey King in it, but that might be something that <laughs> history, you, mythology, it's all the same Yeah, thing. history, mythology, dreamology, morphology.
2: Let me, let me ask you this though. I'm, I'm intrigued mm-hmm. from her perspective.
0: She like Kung Fu. She like fighty fights.
2: Well, no, different question. She like humor. Is it subtitled?
0: Yes, it is. She's out. Okay. <laughs>
2: I don't think she doesn't one. She doesn't know how
0: to read. I don't, No, she knows how to read.
2: I just don't think. uh, uh She kind of has that just. It's a question she doesn't like. Um, no, I. I, I, I try to get girl. her to venture, venture out of her sure. uh, her movie. Oh, her comfort thing. zone. Yeah. yeah, it's hard. It's hard, yeah. hard to get people out of the comfort zone in movies. Well, oh. do
0: you how do you get people out of the comfort zone in movies? Do you sit them down and just say watch this?
2: Uh, I know no. you, I know. I did I
0: that with my son to... uh, you know I told him you're going to watch Big Trouble in Little China because it's a great movie and you're going to enjoy it and after th- at the end of it because my wife kind of made fun that he was going to watch mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. and she goes oh it's so boring and I was like it is not a boring movie and, and by the end of the movie and after the credit scene he's like why are we watching these credits I like, keep watching why is Jack Burton talking I mean after the movie was over he's like oh yeah mom's totally wrong I'm glad I watched <laughs> this movie and I think sometimes but, you do need to tell people, sit down think, and watch this. It has to it will be, be good for you. You
2: have to know their taste in movies. So like yeah. when yeah, Cloud Atlas came balance. out, I was like, this isn't the movie from my perspective. Like this wouldn't be her like go to movie. Like, oh, we should totally watch this. Right. But I got her to watch it. She enjoyed it. I said, awesome. Uh, Don John came out, actually came to our theater this summer. Yeah. I watched it. Freaking love that movie. I said, hey, she hated we it. should go watch this. Oh, she was, like, mad that I took her to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have yeah, to know yeah. what they Way want. Way to go, Travis Bickle.
0: Take your wife to a... Yeah, yeah. You gotta, yeah, yeah, you gotta yeah. Pick Pretty much that's what it was. This, yeah.
1: This last week, I've been married for almost 20 years. This last week, I sat my wife down and forced her to watch an hour of Bob Saget stand-up with me. <laughs> and she was so mad at me until about the third time he said something really hilarious and by the end of it, she sat for the whole hour and watched. Normally, she would have wandered away about 10 or 15 minutes into it. You have to pick your battles. I mean, I wouldn't have done that with just anybody. I certainly wouldn't have done that with, like, the conversation. But I knew that if she would just sit down and listen and, you know, if she would give it a shot, I think it would work really well. And it, it, it did. Um, and then, of course, he got really, really creepy and started singing about his dog. But, you know, you do what you can.
2: I, I think there's a big give and take. Like if I'm gonna have to yeah. get to watch movie, I'm gonna have to watch something. Yeah, I I'm gonna have watch to watch
0: it. the so and so dance club or whatever it is. Yeah, yep.
1: so you're gonna you, have, you have to watch you
0: have to Catching Silver Linings to watch Playbook. You don't watch. Yeah, yeah. Silver Linings Playbook.
1: Oh no, I love that movie. Silver Linings Playbook wasn't that bad.
0: I didn't care for it. I liked it. Um well. uh, you know, I w- when the first Sin City movie came out, my wife and I were out of town. I was like, yeah, you want to just go see this movie? I mm-hmm. mean, it's comic books. You know, I like comic books. If you don't want to see it, we can watch something. Like, yeah, hey, you try it out. And I was like, all this blood and violence. I think 300 was the same way. It's like all this blood and violence. She's going to hate <laughs> this movie. It came out and she's like, oh, no, I, I really like that. That was a lot of fun.
2: Mm-hmm. People can surprise you. Yeah. Uh, that's always
3: something to remember. Rodrigo,
0: what's the secret of getting people to watch a movie that they normally wouldn't watch? Get them outside their wheelhouse.
3: Um, you basically have to build a staircase for them. Um, you have to be Netflix to a certain degree. Hey, I see you like this chick flick. Would you like to watch Knocked Up? It's chick flick. (laughs) Yeah. Then once they watch Knocked Up, you can work your way up to Pineapple Express. You know, I mean, it's like... You just don't jump right to Pineapple Express.
1: Right. It's a a Judd Apatow. uh, Right, right.
3: Right, exactly. So you kind of build this bridge. It's like, well, eventually... I want to also get my significant other to watch a dark crystal. Movie. It's like, mm-hmm. we are going to have to make a lot of steps between. He's just not that into you until we finally get to the dark <laughs> crystal. Yeah.
0: In your case, I don't think you're going to have a problem with that, but you know, we watch 40 year old no, no. virgin in my case. Now yeah. we watch 40 year old Virgin. She really liked that movie. It's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, okay. And I forget which order they came out. of. it's like, okay, let's go watch, um, um, TV Anchor, Anchorman, let's Anchorman. go watch Anchorman. Yeah. Man, that was the worst <laughs> movie ever, I can't believe you made me watch that. And it's like, it's by the same guy. No, it's not. Uh, involved in it, a lot no, of the there. actors. Oh, have yeah. It. Yeah. oh it's Upatow's company, It's right. Yeah, Jeanette, yeah. Jeanette yeah. company
2: okay company. Because it is a McKay direct that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And she um, hated it. David, it's the same kind of both of them. It, I think it's different humor. I don't, I, maybe. And I know a lot of people that hate Anchorman. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people hate Anchorman. Yeah.
3: Uh, and then, uh, see, weirdly, Anchorman is like the one Will Ferrell movie that I tolerate, and I think it's all the TV jokes. I think oh, you yeah, know, certainly. working in TV, there's just a yeah. lot more for me in there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you know the the inside lingo, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how Zach do?
0: Uh, this week, uh, uh, Rodrigo. Zach, how did you do this week? Let's ask Zach this week how he did. <laughs>
2: No, you can't ask me these questions because I'm horribly critical of myself.
3: Self evaluation. Self evaluation um, time, hey! Zach. It's the uh, easiest test to give
0: and the easiest one to grade. Tell mean, the tell hardest him one him to answer.
1: This is that you care too much. <laughs> uh,
2: how did I do this week? Um, I don't know. It was okay, I guess.
0: I think you picked up on some good things. Some good
3: insights and You picked up
1: uh, on some stuff that, that we did not.
3: Yeah, see. Visuals. I think I think there have been times when um Zach it doesn't kind of synchronize himself to the themes of the movie. He's mm-hmm. a little too concerned with the um uh formal aspects of the movie. Um a lot of the time, but doesn't necessarily catch what the thematic impact of it is. I think mm-hmm. in this instance, um, he was really he was really keyed into it. And in fact, did a couple had a couple of really strong insights into the movie that the rest of us might not have uh, necessarily thought of. Oh, Thank
2: you. Yeah. I've, I've been trying to focus on themes more because you always talk about how I didn't focus on themes enough.
3: So now I've been focusing on things. Uh, well, but now you I'll go. focus on that's, things too uh, That's another much, good thing. And then uh, I'll, I'll forget stuff. When you forget the formal aspects, then Stephen will remind you. Yeah, sure. Right.
2: And then he'll be like, how are you going to use when this? You and I'll be like,
3: no. Uh, Man, I'm finally going to go
0: back over here to the list. The list. The sacred list. Let's see what we have here. Oh, oh. 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 here we go. Here we go, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Dun, 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 oh, there's dun. some good ones on here that we still have. Um... All right, so I'm going to let you choose, Zach, and, oh, I, and you cannot ask the question about what is this movie about, because okay. I'm not going to tell you. You just yeah. got to go by, you have to go by the title.
2: Okay.
1: Multiple choice.
2: Hopefully you me movies I've never heard of.
0: I'm going to hopefully bet that there are movies that you have not pretty watched. pretty good chance. So we can watch... Strangers on a train. Okay. The Day Ooh, John the Candy. The Day the Earth Stood Still.
2: Oh, the the remake? No. Oh god, thank you. Or The Thing. Oh man.
0: Maybe you've heard of The, the Thing.
2: Yeah, I've actually heard of all of these.
0: Oh, you have good. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And by man, I've heard heard of them. I've heard the I've heard I've heard the title.
3: We we actually recorded a show earlier tonight, which is gonna, which probably has already aired. I'm gonna guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But Stephen literally talked about the thing <laughs> earlier today to Zach. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um.
0: Well, no, that doesn't mean he knows what it's about. No, no, no. no, no. I mean, he he was like wasn't a nice monster. No, he something. never. Pays
2: choose B, B. Choose B. Um, no, I'll I don't, don't, a... don't want to do that one. I want to do "Strangers on a Train."
0: All right, Alfred Hitchcock's "Strangers on a Train." I think you're going to like this one, Zach. Oh, yeah! Uh,
2: it's all
0: about knocking off your significant other.
2: Is this uh, movie entirely as strange as the train sequence from Manchurian Candidate? Because if so, I want to repick. Yeah, that's actually all it is. It's just <laughs> a, a two-hour
1: Manchurian <laughs> Candidate train sequence. Which is awesome. It, I'd pay uh, to see that, wouldn't
0: you? Strangers on Train, 1951. A psychotic socialite confronts a pro tennis star with a theory on how the two complete strangers can get away with murder.
1: That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, John Candy's in this, right? No. And, and Danny DeVito. No. I've seen this one. No. I haven't seen this one? No. Owen!
0: No, it's not that movie. This is not a comedy.
2: All <laughs> oh, okay. right, that's enough. That was too awkward. Uh, You've never
0: seen uh, Billy Crystal and Danny DeVito and throw Mama from the train?
2: No. Okay,
0: so watch Strangers on a Train, then watch Throw Mama from the Train. I guarantee you, your right. fiance will enjoy then, Throw Mama from a, from then the then Train. Then watch two episodes.
3: Yeah. I'll watch Strangers of on a Train. Super Train. I guarantee your fiance will enjoy sleeping at her parents' house. <laughs> Uh, okay,
2: that's it for this episode of Zach on Film. Make sure to head over to MajorSpoilers.com where you can find the podcasting posting page where you can give your thoughts on uh, the conversation and uh, uh, talk about themes and stuff that we talked about on this show. While you're at Major Spoilers, make sure to click on the Amazon.com link where you can buy all sorts of movies like Honey and Trunk the Kids and The Thing and uh, Strangers on the Train and anything else we talk about on Zach on Film. It's not going to cost you any extra but a little bit will come back to us to keep this ship afloat so next week more Hitchcock with Strangers on a Train